One of you dudes want to do the prayer? I do. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So, any check-ins? Nope. Okay, good deal. <laughs> yeah, man, that was um, that was a very fun conversation with Joe. And he did mention it, that he would like to come back on sometime in the future, or at least any time we wanted him back on, he would be willing to join as well. I, well. We may have to take him up on that offer. For sure. I felt like we left some stuff on the table. Yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, already, even because I had only listened to his songs for like a few days, um, but that's him 101. That was incredible hearing him talk about that. And then even going back now after talking through it a little bit and some of the lyrics of um, just love to hear where he thinks he, he got some of that, like the awful grace of God. Um, that's a powerful line, man. The only other time I've heard that line is the Aeschylus poem. Um about the awful, like it, it drips down as we suffer and slowly but surely we learn um, through the awful grace of God. Mm -hmm. I, I, wonder, I don't know if he's ever read that or not or if it came from somewhere else, but it's a legit dude we talked to. Yeah. Uh, the Aeschylus poem. How do you spell that? Es uh, Aeschylus is, it's like A, gosh darn, it starts with an oh, A. Oh, it's one of the A-E kind of situations. Yeah, A-E. But the Aeschylus, <laughs> and I, I mean, he's got a lot of, he's, he's an ancient figure, um, mm -hmm. but the, that particular one, I can look it up really quick, that is what, a lot of people probably know what it is, because that's what Bobby Kennedy quoted the day that Martin Luther King was shot, when he, like, addressed the public. Hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Hang on, I'll read it. This is, this is worth... You guys haven't heard this before? Maybe I have. Um, TBD. So this is Aeschylus. It's A-E-S-C-H-Y-L-U-S. Oh, Aeschylus. Spelled like it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> he says, He who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our own despair against our will comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. Nice. Wow. Mm. Good pull, Juice. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, it's, it's kind of refreshing to, to talk to a musician whose stuff you like. And feel like, oh, I was like, I was right to think that this person has some something deep going on. But also interesting hearing his perspective on the inspiration that, like, he just channeled. Because yeah, that poem has the same exact idea, or at least how I how I read what he was writing about. But um, hmm. that's what's cool about a song like that, or hearing about a song like that too, is that. For some reason, this uh, hit a nerve with millions of people, this yeah. song he wrote, and he's pretty humble about it. 
that uh, it's it's almost something that happened to him that he wrote it in 15 minutes, and then it kind of made his career. Right. And uh, for 10 years, he's been singing it, and people don't get sick of it. It's yeah. Crazy. <clears throat> Straight yeah, it's genius. Inter- no, it is. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty cool stuff. I mean, even he called himself a conduit, didn't he? In it. Yeah. Um, which is which is pretty cool because it's it's not necessarily a new like there's not necessarily a new idea in that song at least how I've listened to it so far, um, but how it's given like received and then given is like maybe that's what beauty like just an experience of beauty which is pretty cool and pretty attractive to a lot of people. Yeah, I was amazed at how <clears throat> um, at how clear he was as an artist that his work was about about affecting the heart Mm -hmm. and 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 just talking to him he he was clearly very in tune with his own heart like it it almost sounded like a couple times when we were chatting like he kind of would get a little uh filled with emotion um and yeah just very transparent and authentic in the way that he spoke um yeah, and obviously his his strong reaction to <laughs> the propaganda machine yeah. uh that he like he's not about just filling people with with ideas or teaching people stuff. Like he actually is about the business of of shaping hearts. Um I guess his clarity on that was was really striking. Like this is what artists do. This is what I do. Is I'm about touching hearts in this way. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, which I think is an interesting conversation, especially, f- well, for the church in general, because a lot of times I think um, folks recognize problems in the church or problems in their parish or problems with religious education. And I mean, Rob, you're doing it. You're doing it with religious ed. It's like, what's that combination where we do need to teach folks the faith? but also it has to be at a, at a heart level as well. Um, and the, I guess the priest maybe stands in the middle of the two as, as teacher, but also artist in that way, um, where we, we do need to present the faith in a way that's intelligible and understandable and, and, and can be known, but at the same time it needs to affect the heart as well. Yeah. I think there's a factor in that of, um, I don't know. I don't have this too formulated yet, but it's something I think about a lot. <clears throat> and maybe when you said priest as artist kind of made me think of it, but you said a couple weeks ago, Connor, that, and this stuck with me cause it put words on it for me too. But, uh, in, in so many ways, like the model of leadership that I aspire to is what Baron did at Mundelein. Um, and you just realize that kind of amidst everything else going on, he allowed himself to be known. In, I mean, with, you know, degrees and everything like that. But I just remember, like, how much fun and funny, like, the lunch table conversations with him would be. And he was at lunch every day. And I really still feel like that's where I got to know, like, a lot of his thought and, like, could pick his brain on things and everything like that. Um, but I've... I don't know. I think there's just a an aspect of that, and even something like just religious at PSR um, here at St. Mm-hmm. Boniface, which has been 
it's just been so worthwhile. I don't know. It's been awesome. It's been great and get to know families and all that. Um, but I guess that's been the desire in me is that, I mean, the bulk of the time those kids are going to spend is with their catechist, you know, and, um, and even like the most important formation that they're going to get is from their family. Um, and, and it's cool to oversee it and kind of like to be in there and getting to know them and all that. But it's like this desire of, um, like, I also want them to just like get to know me as, as well. And I don't really have anything past that. Um, besides it's kind of like going back to that thing of like life should be fun and it's like, Hey, PSR should be fun. Like I enjoy being there and hopefully I'm going to be joyful when, when I'm there and just kind of be around them. Um, at least at the start. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, <clears throat> I waffle in between cause sometimes I, I think just from a human perspective, you want to feel like you're getting somewhere. Uh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Both like narrowly in a thing like a class, an RCIA or or a PSR, where you're, you're teaching people the faith and you're, you're trying to to get them from point A to point B, from like ignorant of the faith to, well, practicing the faith, really, um, experiencing it through knowing it. Um, but you, you, you can't just like know it and then auto- automatically desire it. Uh, you have to take the long road of that heart to heart. Um, but then it kind of feels like, well, then I'm like a Newman. Well, then I'm just like hanging out, eating lunch and ping- playing ping pong and making coffee for people. And you're like, well, what am I, what am I actually doing? Or, or am I getting anything done or what's the fruit of it? Um, and it, it requires a lot more patience and trust than if you're just like, you know, because I, I've read a lot of books about like, what's the best way to run a parish or a campus ministry or, you know, to get the results you're looking for, whether that's vocations or disciples or more people in church on Sunday. Um, and I, I still want those things, but um, I think I more want what you're saying, which is life should be fun. Like, you know, having, having Joe on the podcast is just sort of like, that feels like a fruit of just living my life in Christ the way that, uh, he is like creating me in my personality. The fact that I went to that show with my sister and have listened to him and went up to him afterwards just to kind of like, just tell him like, Hey, what you've done really means a lot to me. Uh, and I just want you to know it. I don't want anything from you. And then to have that kind of like spark a connection and there's no agenda there, you know? Hmm. Um, and I do, sometimes I feel like, you know, the St. Francis Xavier, uh, office of readings where it's like go to China because there's all these people slipping into hell, um, because they don't know the faith. And like there, there is the aspect of like the missionary zeal and the, and the urgency of preaching the gospel and giving people the truth. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe in the, in this post-Christian society, the new evangelization, what's as, or even more important is the heart connection where people already think they know the faith, even if they don't. Um, and no matter how much you tell them, this is what you need to do to be saved. They're going to just 
unless they feel like you love them and actually you care about them and are interested in them and want to be with them. Um, you know, like you just hanging out in the PSR with the kids uh, is going to make a huge difference, but it's not, it's not so visible and it's not like easy to say, well, I'm clocking in. That's why this is my job is, you know, well, and also I've kids. realized this too, is that it, it, things like that. And I would say this has been the experience there and across the board is that, um, like big, you know, kind of conscious watershed moments are like very rare. I think in that, at least that you ever like have the chance to see, you know, um, what I mean by that is like, um, you know, it's absurd to think that, and I didn't go in expecting this in any way, but like, it would be absurd to think, you know, each week you're going to have someone come up to you and be like, oh my gosh, like this has changed my life forever. You know, like this one thing or this one little moment. Um, but in real ways, like maybe it did, like maybe it's just a lifeline down the road for them that like, hey, they could come back or like one little thing. And it's kind of the whole, you know, this is getting in super vague, a little bit cliche, but the whole like planting seeds thing. Um, I mean, that's true. That's like a biblical image in, in a lot of ways. Um, but like there's, I don't know, when you, when you actually get to um, like share yourself and, and, and be known in, in kind of new ways like that. Um, I know it's just attractive. And like, I, I loved Joe's point last night of when we were talking about like, Hey, people can really tell when you've mailed it in and like, you're checked out from shaking hands after mass and everything like that. But he was like adamant on the point. He was like, yeah, but they can also really tell when you're there and mm -hmm. like, you're making that effort, um, to like be present to that person. And that's electric stuff, especially, I mean, to your point, Connor, and I don't know, I don't have like psychological terms for this, but that seems to be like food for the masses today, myself included, man. Like, yeah. I think that's why it was so. Why it meant so, so much that Baron would eat lunch with you. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like, it was so cool and like, just so fun to talk to Joe last night. I'd be like, here's a guy, you know, obviously on the road. Um, a lot like more famous than, than us, uh, got a family and just like taking an hour to, to shoot the breeze with us, man. But he was there and it was like, yeah, there was no agenda to it, but it was, it was really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you need, you need both of those elements because you can teach somebody something, you know, like even hearing Joe talk about, um, the mo the most basic reality of Christianity that like there's a God who's coming after you and wants to personally know you. And like what a mind blowing fact that was is he probably knew that like everybody, well, I shouldn't say everybody, many people know that fact about what Christians believe, but like to have an experience that accompanies what he actually already knew it makes it real. And there's something about that, like that tandem where, okay, this is what I've been taught about the faith. And then I can come in and actually see it lived out in conversation and 
in the action of the church. Um, like even your story, Rob, with going and visiting that gal in the hospital, um, you know, at some level, she didn't believe that the father was going to show up. And we say, no, you have a, a good father who shows up. And like, this is the way that God loves you. And then you showed up and it's like, okay, here's the actual living out and the slamming in of the reality, like into your life. And when you just have one or the other, it seems fake, you know, it doesn't seem real. And so to have those little personal interactions that make, yeah, the the, the faith is a joy. And so then you go and live it joyfully and you're like, oh yeah, it actually is a joy. Uh, that was, that was so powerful to see Baron do it that way. Come in in the middle of the night, like nine o'clock at night and he's in there praying. It's like, okay, here's a guy who talks about prayer and he's in here praying. Here's a guy who talks about the joy of, of life in Christ. And then you eat lunch with him and like, man, this guy really is actually joyful. Um, yeah, but how important both of those moments are, uh, it just makes it real. Yeah. Sharing things is fun. Like, that's what I would say, too. (laughs) Sharing is fun. Oh, Matt, you'll like, this is a a little bit of a pivot, but um, you guys are relatively famous around SAUE Newman, because I I talk about you a lot and everything. All good. All good. Um, But there's what is spreading in popularity now, just from, because I, I think anyway, maybe I overtell it, but it brings me so much joy to share it is what is now known as the Mets maneuver. Hmm. The Mets the maneuver. Mets. <laughs> yep. And it all started with um, last year, about this time, actually, about a year ago. I really wanted, we had this great group of, of uh, freshman gals. And um, there was a couple of friends of mine, like Sister Carolyn, and then, um, yeah, a couple other friends of mine in, in town here um that you know about about my age and just like yeah very holy very holy women and living out the faith very well so i was like man i really want i don't really want anything from it besides like these freshman gals to know like these women that are you know 10 15 years older than them and um hopefully a friendship can develop there and everything so anyway i line it up to for them to have coffee to meet each other at one of the local coffee places here in Edwardsville. I, I showed up, and this place is packed on Saturday morning. So we line it all up. There's like 12 ladies coming to this thing. And I told them, I was like, I'll buy the coffee. I'm going to stay for like five minutes, and then I'm peacing out um, for you guys to get to know each other. But So I got there early because I wanted to get them a table. And, uh, and this place is packed, but I get a good table, good spot. Anyway, long story short... Didn't really anticipate this, but the table that I got was right by where Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Santa Claus were setting up for pictures and everything. (laughs) And I, yeah, I don't need to get into the details here, but me and Mrs. Claus were not fans of each other (laughs) because she thought that like we didn't need that much table space. But I thought that she didn't need that much room for pictures. Let's just leave it at that. And it just kind of got to this point of like it was cordial the whole time. 
but it was like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I'm not leaving this table because like this group is coming and like I realize you're doing your job, but like I got to do my job here and we're just going to kind of be at odds. And uh, dude, by the way, that's a huge risk this close to Christmas to be mean to Mrs. Claus. I know, I know, but I really, I my conscience was clear, though, yeah, okay. man. You were and in the right. Let, yeah, she was having a bad day. Santa um, will understand. Santa will understand. But it reminded me very much of. Do you remember Mets when we used to do cookouts on um on the cam, and we would always MJ, who is the backstory is she was the awesome lady who ran the kitchen at Mundelein. And uh, you were supposed to put in like two weeks in advance or something like that to get the food <laughs> for the cookouts. And without fail, we would always, always, always forget to order food from the kitchen until like two days before we wanted to have the cookout. Yeah. And so we would just send Mets in to MJ's <laughs> office to get the food for us. And I remember you talking about like, it seemed like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed like you kind of enjoyed it. And oh, you would just n- not leave her office until she caved <laughs> and gave us the food. <laughs> but it was like she kind of hated you, but like also loved you a lot in it. And we yeah. always got the food. So yeah. anyway, that is at now known as the Mets maneuver of like, hey, like I'm going to be super joyful and happy and love you. And but like and I understand like where you're coming from and that you have a job to do. But I also have a job to do. <laughs> And I'm not actually going to leave, like, your doorway until you give us the food for the cookout. Um, and I've employed it elsewhere. And it's it's kind of super fun of, like, nope, I'm just going to continue to be joyful but be, like, adamant and clear about, like, what my job is here. Anyway, long story short, that's the Mets maneuver for anybody that, that needs that. Um, but Sharon Dude, is I fun. love that. I love that. That really reminds me of the the story of the missionaries of charity with the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're getting you over to India now. Mm -hmm. Going to the post office and getting the passport in a day. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I felt like I was being fed to the wolves when when I would get sent to (laughs) Miss MJ. She was, dude, she was pretty tough. But um, yeah, I guess the Mets maneuver it. It takes a little bit, but eventually it wears everybody down. So <laughs> I've I've gotten out of and gotten many things uh, through that move. Because I think what people realize is this guy's playing a different game right now. Like, <laughs> he's about he's about something different than than what I think is going on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like it, no joke. Without fail, we would forget food. We would, we would forget to to put in the, um, I guess the receipt like asking for however much food we need. So, I show up, and you know I'm like Miss MJ, like I got I got mouths to feed here. Like, <laughs> it's either this or we don't we we don't eat. And you know she has it, and you know she has the heart for it, and you know that she wants to give it to you, but it's breaking the rules. Yeah. And so you just kind of have to wear her down. But, uh, Brian Regan does a little skit where he talks about having to go in uh, after playing outside with his siblings um, and one of them gets hurt and they would always vote on who they would send in to go and tell their mom. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what I would feel like <laughs> going to miss MJ. Like 
<laughs> the, the Brian Regan skate goes like, oh, hey, mom. Hey, um, you know, Kevin, right? Yeah, Kevin, he's a, he's your son. He's my brother. You know him, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know how your elbow usually bends this way? <laughs> well, Kevin's isn't. And, you know, we, we know you were going out to the grocery store later. It's going to pass by the hospital anyways. We were wondering if we could drop him off. <laughs> But just that line, hey, you know Kevin, right? Kevin, yeah, you know, you know Kevin. <laughs> That's kind of how I'd feel with Miss MJ. Like, hey, you know Three North? Oh, you know Three North. <laughs> we we need food. <laughs> I know you you are in charge of the food, and we need food. So I was wondering if we could have some of it. <laughs> oh man, That's good. No bisque maneuver though. What would be the the bisque maneuver? Um, <laughs> we'll think of that. We'll think of that. What we'll what comes one. to mind we'll when you one. say the bisque maneuver? Me? Yeah. Besides draining three pointers, that's what I usually call it. Oh, that's a good one. I was gonna say ramble on for like seven minutes and, and leave you guys speechless because I, I really didn't have a point. <laughs> what were, what were we talking about again? <laughs> Dude, I was gonna say the bisque maneuver is you coming in hot for a layup and just <laughs> just slamming it off the backboard, slamming way it off too the hard. backboard, and then going, "Come on, CB." <laughs> <laughs> that a is a move. That's my move. Violent self talk going on. That's my favorite, dude. Violent self talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My brother, I think uh, my brother Ethan's move. Um, this was so funny. Uh, a couple times ago, when I was down in Dallas, my sister in law reminded us of this thing that I forgot that he used to do, which was at restaurants. Um, at the end of the meal, he would order a tall glass of ice cold milk and then chug the whole thing in one go. What? Like that's just how he, how he was in the habit of ending meals. Like he just, I remember he used to say it all the time. He's like, it just like cuts through the meal and it just like soothes. It helps with digestion and but it was <laughs> when they first started dating, it was like this very off-putting but oddly endearing thing that <laughs> sort of embarrassing. He goes to the waiter, hey, can I just have a, a glass of milk, really cold milk at the end of the meal? And then he would just sit there and, and chug it right in front of her. And uh, that's love that she that she stuck <laughs> with this dude. But that was that's the Ethan maneuver. Get the milk. Yeah, what, dude. Would you call, what would you guys call the juice maneuver? Juice maneuver? Um, you're very chill. So, something chill. Just well, hitting home runs. Yeah, but you like, got the name like juice from hitting, hitting dingers. Yeah, just fast trot around the bases, head down. Like, no big deal. <laughs> just right. won the game. Okay, that's good. I like that. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I just, yep. yeah. <clears throat> just uh, confirming. What would be the juice maneuver, man? Um, I honestly, it would probably just be like, well, at this point it would be you walking around with the SIUE dad sweater, just being yeah. stoked about life. Just walking around the Newman center or y'all have a Newman center, right? Oh, El Thunderdome. El Thunderdome. Okay. Uh -huh. I wasn't sure if, if that count, if that was what the Newman center was. No, there. it's not. Well, it, well. It's the Thunderdome. It's the Thunder. It is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. Yeah, you just walking around being happy as all get out because you're the SIUE dad. Just in your element. 
That's mm. not much of a move. I probably should. Yeah. I'll, I'll we'll think, think about, about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. <laughs> yeah. What were, what were you saying before that? Bisque? Oh, um, a little pivot back to the whole life should be fun. What are we really after with this connection thing with people and the agenda of like touching hearts being more vague than, uh, you know, coming into a place. I was thinking the other day, like if I got moved, God forbid, uh, sometime soon back to a parish, like what do I even imagine? Do I know more now what I think a like flourishing parish looks like and what I would do practically? Um, not really. And, uh, this gets to, you know, my main thing in life is, is priesthood, but just life in general too. I feel like as I've got gone through it, um, hey, that's, just, that's a funny statement. Like, oh, what's your thing? Oh, priesthood. <laughs> that's, yeah. my, that's kind of my, <laughs> my it's kind of my jam in life. <laughs> uh, but life in general, uh, just kind of thinking and praying a lot about, well, in this advent, uh, mindset too of expectation um kind of something like you said mike about rob's story of going to see this person in the hospital kind of bowling them over um and being a grace moment and i think a lot of times you don't even know like the most effective things you do in priesthood and some of the most like joe's hymn 101 some of the things that like shape you are things that happen quickly that at the time don't feel like this is a huge monumental thing in my life or the the person I'm, I'm standing in front of right now, but you know, 15 years from now, looking back, you will realize it. Um, and so those, it's really hard to manufacture anything really kind of effective or like, I'm going to, I'm setting out today to do something really meaningful and, and huge. It just kind of happens. Um, but what I feel is that my desire in life gets deeper, but more vague Meaning, uh, like when I was a kid this time of year, Christmas was just like, yes, this is happening in 10 days. It's going to be Christmas and I know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, plus there's going to be some surprise to it cause, uh, I don't know what I'm getting and it's going to be fun and I'm going to do these things and eat candy in the morning and open presents and be with my family and stuff like that. And it's this concrete expectation that as you get older, you're like, yeah, Christmas is fun, but I want something more. But I also don't know what it is. You know, it becomes more like, I just want, I just want life to really deliver, you know, something awesome and unexpected. Uh, and so it gets, it feels like it's farther off in the distance. It also feels less likely to happen, you know, more of an act of faith because of you're just more used to routine and like, well, this is what I can expect out of life. Um, and it's good. I like my life, but I want something more. It's like that itch, you know? Uh, and how is this going to work out that like the spring is going to bubble up in the desert or the mountain is going to bloom with, with flowers, all these Isaiah prophecies of like, yeah. everything's going to get better and every, it's going to be so much more awesome than you think. And the analogy I was thinking about the other day was this hike that I went on uh, very early on when I first started fighting fires and being from the flatlands and the suburbs, not really ever experiencing the grandeur of the mountains and the wilderness and everything, just kind of having a vague longing for 
that, but um, that's what kind of led me out to out to the Forest Service. But going up, I'd never seen a mountain lake before. And um, these people, like, after work, they're like, hey, let's go hike up to this mountain lake. There's this lake called Sky High Lake. We're in the Marble Mountain Wilderness in Northern California. I was like, yeah, I'll go. Even though we've been walking around all day, schlepping things around and and working, I'm like, yeah, let's go on a, a little leisure hike. And What is schlepping? Schlepping? I think it's schlepping Yiddish for, like, to... carrying around Okay. heavy things. But... um. Yeah, as we're walking up, it's just like hiking. Also, walking places in the woods, you're like, oh, this is about, you know, 10 miles away or five miles away, but it's up and over mountains and switchback trails, and it just takes forever to get anywhere. Um, <clears throat> but then when I got there, you're just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen, you know? And I'm, I'm glad I didn't have a camera, like a camera phone. Hmm. Because it wouldn't have, I, I, I can still see it in my mind's eye and sort of conjure the experience a little bit of that surprise uh, at the at the thing we saw. It was this big mountain valley um, with these lakes in it and waterfalls. And it was like something out of the Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, I feel like that's... I, I, I'm careful with the analogy because I don't think the spiritual life is just like climbing a mountain. You just got to work hard and, and get there and not give up. But there is something also to it of like just cooperating and trusting that uh, at the end of this rainbow, there's some pot of gold. And along the way, there are these little signs and encouragements to to keep you hopeful. But if you just settle on the on the signs and you're like, what I want is Christmas. And I, I feel like we do that every year. Like our culture uh, is like, Christmas is some magic, so let's just get after it. And uh, and it, it turns into sort of this futile grasping after air of like, well, maybe if I buy this thing or maybe if I have this experience or or whatever. But um, if you got to let the things be a sign of and, and grow your your heart to want even more. And to expect that through no meriting or deserving of it on my part, um, God is going to show up and blow me away with with his goodness and whatever is at the end of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not eating the frosting last. Yeah, flesh that, flesh that out a little bit because, I mean, because I'm just curious of maybe a few more thoughts on it of like when God is going to show up and, and blow me away, you know, in this, is that like talking about what hopefully whatever is to come will be, or is it, I, I don't know, just because I, I'm kind of more and more convinced too, like the older you get is, is sometimes like, yeah, God's showing up and, and blowing you away becomes like smaller things and mm-hmm. smaller joys and which are actually better in a lot of ways, you know? Um, I, you know, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I think the more you grow up and the more you mature is just like the smaller, the smaller your life becomes. And that's actually a good thing. Um, that does that make sense when I'm asking to flesh that out? Yeah. Well, I think that makes a good point. Um, 
I, I don't really know what I'm what I'm saying or thinking, but it, it's it's something that. Well, it's let me give you an example of because it's like in some ways, I mean, you take someone like a Therese who like actually was so conformed to grace in her life that sufferings became grace of like she tangibly she didn't know that abstractly. But whenever she was granted a suffering or like being misunderstood is like that's how in that moment she was being she was being loved and she had the capacity to receive it as as that. And it's not just it. I mean, I think through a growth in the spiritual life, you can like receive the cross joyfully. Again, a little bit abstract there. But I mean, people also work through that in very concrete ways of like, hey, here's this suffering in my life that then maybe it's like watching someone you love deal with a really big sickness or, I mean, especially around the holidays, that stuff's acute, you know, in, in everyone. Yeah. Um, but, and it, it does, like, it, it makes you, I think, like, both cling to and maybe, um, you know, maybe feel the cross in, in a whole new way. But there's also... I don't know. Life should be in a lot of ways like light and and joyful, and it makes you appreciate like these little moments of like, whoa, that was <clears throat> that little tiny um, encounter with whatever it's or this person or that person, and it's like just mundane little stuff. It's like that was like the heavenly feast, man. Um, if you have the eyes to see it, the missionaries of charity are really good at that. I mean. Um, I remember, Mets, do you remember that New Year's man? Like, you got to preach to him, and then we had cake and hot chocolate oh, yeah. with him, and they sang Marian <laughs> hymns. Yeah, never and it was it. like, you take you take that from, like, you know, whatever you want to call it, the drone view of just flying over, and we're in this, like, you know, poverty-stricken place, eating, like, cake and hot chocolate at midnight with, like, pretty horrible singing you know from a worldly perspective and it was heaven like it was just heaven for those 10 minutes or whatever it was um so i'm rambling there i'll stop yeah no i agree i i i also do i know maybe this would help as well connor is um this idea that we talked about with joe that that life is a story and it's and it's nice because uh, it kind of does, it has at its proper center somebody else besides us um, who's actually working this story. And I remember in DMAX class, he was the first one to introduce the idea to me that music, um, good music, will kind of take you on a journey as well. And the best type of music is the thing that brings you all the way back home which like a lot of these great stories that we mentioned, you know, Lord of the Rings par excellence is it, it takes them back to the Shire. It takes them back home, but they're changed and different and kind of like transfigured um, through the journey. And I think that's a helpful way of looking at what you're talking about. Cause it's not so much like, Hey, there's this gold on top of the mountain. Once you get to the mountain, but at the same time, there are parts of the song where it's like there's tragedy or or at least maybe darkness. And you're like, wait a second, where the heck am I right now? 
but that's not the entirety of the song that you kind of have to keep going and trekking through it and parts of the woods where it's um, treacherous and difficult and maybe there's enemies around and that's all a part of it but it's part of a bigger story as well and so you know that lake at the top of the mountain or however you want to say it um, it is like that home longing like okay the the music the story has to take me all the way meaning you have to ride the story you have to stay with somebody somebody else all the way to the end um but i but i like that idea because it's not like hey there's just cake at the end of the day and you, your glass of milk at the end of the meal that you can just <laughs> slam <laughs> but it's like no this is just a part of this whole song that it is going to come to completion if you stay if you remember the fact that like there's somebody who is writing your story and it's a good and beautiful story um which which is not always easy to believe to be honest you know it's um sometimes the song or the story that we find ourselves in in our life it's like how is this a part of some big beautiful story from a good father you know um but you know that's where returning to the things you know returning to friends and scripture and prayer and all those things um help us to remember that it is a part of a bigger story but man sometimes you gotta trek through the woods sometimes you do and maybe that lake like well i don't want to push it even further but i don't know if that helps as well that totally that made it more conflated but phrase ride the story it it made me think of uh, walter chizek he leadeth me and his whole insight about god's will being not some circumstance or situation outside of reality as it is right now like i need to go do god's will that was always my discernment problem was like what is god's will for me in five years um should i be a priest or not and uh what real discernment was it turned out was what's god's will for me right now and the answer to that question is the circumstances you find yourself in because either by god's active or permissive will that's why you're you're at where you're at and you can assent to it or you can say no. Um, but God is still through his providence writing your story. Um, and doing God's will looks a lot like just saying yes to it, whatever your daily mundane duties are or whatever extraordinary things come your way. Um, it's writing that story man. that's, and I guess that's what I, maybe would clarify from what I'm saying is that I agree that your, your heaven experiences become smaller things, you know, it's not, and and that's maybe the insight too of the looking forward to Christmas as a kid thing. It's like, you're not living in the moment. You're, you're what ends up teaching you the lesson of like, that's not it is that you keep looking forward to Christmas, you get your stuff. And then the next day you're like, meh, meh, you know, because you, um, like a more mature adult, way of of experiencing life is to is to let it wash over you and wash over you in the present and not hang like grab the butterfly and kill it um but like trust that these experiences are 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 kind of the thing itself but also signs and pointers to something else you know so what i say that, that my hope is bigger my desire is bigger but more vague 
it's like I don't think that I think Therese and the missionaries of charity and, and these people that live this way um, really do see everything as grace and even the suffering, even the walk through the woods, the tough parts, they see God in it, but they still want more, you know, and the way that they want more uh, or get more is by not escaping the, those dark or mundane situations or boring parts of the story, but by entering into them more intensely. You know what I'm saying? So it's not yes. like my advent hope is like, get me out of here. Just like fast forward the tape. I want to get to the rainbow at the end or the gold or whatever. Um, it's what's going to make this sweet. This thing that I want so bad is more than this. But what's going to give me the flavor of sweetness is by entering totally into where I'm at right now and the people and the, and god in it you know does that make sense yeah man but that's Dude, that, that's that hard man sense. yeah <laughs> i i'm brushing my teeth i have been but i have wireless <laughs> head i have wireless headphones in so i heard all of that okay <laughs> but i feel like you just hit on something very profound if i can say that <laughs> with a mouthful of toothpaste can Thanks, you hear dude. your record yeah, so can everybody. Well, I have to go to an orthodontist appointment, but I'm dirty and I have braces. Yeah, do you, you have to have about... a special toothbrush with your braces? Hey, don't even say that. <laughs> don't. This is the valley, okay? This is it. This is the valley. Uh, this is the sun-baked lee side of the mountain where you're just getting totally crushed by the sun. And like, No, but for real, I think you hit on something big time right there. Yeah, man. Well, does uh, your brushing your teeth mean you need to go? Yeah. There you go. I'm okay yeah. with cutting it, man. I'm okay with cutting that. That's good stuff. Word up. Cut it. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.